I think that Disney's going to blow us away with what we think a TV show can look like. I really do. It, 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 so it sounds like this. You don't think it's going to be Hannah Montana, but with superheroes? I don't think so, man. <laughs> uh, fucking watch the trailer for Mandalorian and tell me if that looks like Hannah Montana. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the podcast that dreams are made of. You are the co-host, Keith Foster, from San Diego, California. That's right, and you are the other co-host, Cassidy Robinson, from Las Vegas, Nevada. Yes. Ching, 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 slot machine. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> it's it's. Uh, we had a l- another little summer break. You uh, just came back from vacation, didn't you? That's right. I just came back from the sunny island of Hawaii. It was great. It was a pretty it's cool. Liter- yeah, it was. I've never been to Hawaii before, so this is a uh, uh, first time. Um, and it's the most relaxed I've ever been in my entire life. I, I don't think I've ever taken a vacation just for the pure sake of relaxation before right like usually there's some agenda or some convention some something or other yeah this was like literally didn't have anything to do but wake up go to the beach and drink my ties yes like six days it was amazing i gained like 13 pounds we're not gonna talk about that uh (laughs) even though i brought it up did you go to a Uh, luau we did. We went to a luau. Um, did you snorkel? Fine. I did. I snorkeled. I saw some tropical fish. That's uh, cool. Swimming, swimming around. Our the the resort we were at had a private lagoon. It was incredible. It was just the best. I even got a little bit of a tan, and I don't tan. No, no, you don't. Traditionally, you know. So I mean. There Turns you go. Out I can. I just need to spend every day at the beach. <laughs> uh, today we're going to be talking about <laughs> the scary stories to tell in the dark. We're finally going to catch up with that. Uh-huh. And we're also going to be reviewing uh, Ready or Not. Uh-huh. Here we come. And at the end of the episode for the Netflix homework, we're going to go over your Netflix uh, pick, which is Solomon Kane. Yes, we will. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I'm kind of excited to talk about that movie, but uh, but we won't get into it just yet. Um, let's go ahead and talk a little. Consume, obey. This is a segment in which we discuss the media, uh, movies, books, music, whatever it might be, that we are currently obsessed with. 
Uh, Keith, did, were you able to consume anything or obey anything while you were in the uh, tropics? <laughs> uh, so I caught I caught up on like four movies on the airplane uh, on the way to and from. Okay, because it was kind of you know it's like a six hour flight, so sure. Uh, I, was, I was able to catch movies on the the plane both ways. Um, so I caught up with a bunch of stuff that I've been missing over the summer. Um, uh, I was able to finally see Lego movie part two. I forgot that uh, movie happened. I know. Uh, me too. Until I saw it on the list and I was like, Ooh, fun. Uh, I watched most of fighting with my family. I didn't get to finish that one cause we landed. Um, I don't even but- know what that is. So it's a wrestling movie about uh, WWE superstar Paige. Oh, never mind. Is that the one with like the girl who joins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember the trailers. I just, I guess, I never knew the title of the movie. I wasn't super like interested, except that it was written and directed by Stephen Merchant, right? Um, and it got a bunch of pretty good buzz early in the year. It was like one of the first movies that this year that came out that had any kind of like good review buzz so it's like a really early release like late january early february right like right that. it was kind of like this year's eddie the eagle yeah kind of actually that's a pretty good comparison mm-hmm. um, yeah and then on the way back i finally got to see uh rocket man and uh x-men dark phoenix all right well, good. Uh, Welcome to 2019. I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> for the record, did you see Dark X Men Dark Phoenix? Yeah, we, uh, uh, me and a uh, friend of the podcast, Ashley, we reviewed Dark Phoenix and Rocket Man in the same episode. Oh, in your in your in summer our, dump, yeah, movie Palooza. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, also, um, I have been able to watch. This might be too many things to talk about, um, but season two of Mindhunter just came out. Yes, and everyone's I don't talking know about if it. you're. Have you watched this? No, I mean I know like you know the uh, David Fincher connections fu- and you, all that. Yeah, you fucking need to watch it. It's it's like I think it's the closest to a. It's like the closest to a spiritual successor to uh science of the lambs and zodiac like it's people like you like yeah if you like those things you should and i know for a fact you personally do Mm. uh you need to fucking watch it i think it might be the best show on netflix as far as like attention to detail and uh like just the direction of some of the episodes, like they're directed the fucking hell out of that show, yeah. In in small ways that they definitely do not need to do, but it's just so well done. Okay, um, it does anything happen in the show? I mean, don't tell me. But every time I, <laughs> uh, I have roommates who here who are watching it, and every time I would walk through the living room when they're watching, it always seemed like somebody's getting interviewed. Like, the whole show is just, like, police (laughs) procedural interviewing suspects. That's sort of the conceit. Um, Yeah. I mean, that is, like, sort of the main driving action. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I really think it's comparable to Zodiac. 
it's not just about the police interrogations. There's also like character stories built out of the cops. It's subtle. Uh, I think in similar ways to like Mad Men is subtle. Like there's definitely a lot of subtext going on. Sure. Um, so it's not like a super action heavy show and it's not, it's not like a CSI crime of the week. It's not even like a CSI. It's not like a, a thing of the week type of show. Right. Um, There's like an overarching season plot and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and Jonathan so Groff is, is, is the lead in the season two? Eh, yeah. I'm <laughs> kind of lukewarm on him. I think Jonathan um, Groff is lukewarm on Jonathan Groff. Yeah. I think Jonathan I Groff's think so. mother is probably like, eh, I could take or leave you. <laughs> like, you're okay. Uh, I think he's cast very effective for the character, though. Okay. Um, and it's, it's very much an ensemble piece. Like, right. there's three or four main characters and they all work well together. I think they use Jonathan Groff Jonathan Groff well. Yeah. Um but he's not like lighting up the screen. No. Well, for the record, I don't hate Jonathan Groff. I was a huge fan of HBO's Looking in which he was the main character. Um I just think like his brand is like white bread. His his brand is bland? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I Again, but he's like I a decent ca- actor or whatever. And I never saw any of the Broadway stuff, so... And I know that that's where he came from. Um, all right. Uh, for something completely different, my Consumo Bay. Yes. I ran into a uh, video YouTuber. Uh, he's like... Uh, he does these little one-minute sketches. I think they're originally made for Instagram, and he just uh, uploads them to YouTube. His name is Long Beach Griffey. He does them all by himself in his bedroom. He usually plays, like two or three parts uh, in each sketch. They're just one minute long and pretty consistently funny for what, for what he's doing on like a zero budget. Um, okay. Yeah. It's just popped up in my recommends one day and with it being a minute long, I was like, what the hell made me laugh, kept watching him. And uh, is this on, this is, is this on YouTube? Oh, I watch it on is- YouTube, but I think he's on Instagram too. Um, it sounds like it might be a TikTok. I don't know what the hell you're saying. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, here we go. Um, so TikTok is sort of the app, the spiritual successor to um, Vine. It's like, it's sort of like the new go-to short video app. Okay, um, yeah. These are very Vine-esque. Um, I mean, some yeah, of them I, might. I think they're all like under a minute kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Some of his sketches might go to like a minute and a half or two minutes, um, but for the most part, they're really short, uh, kind of uh, set up punchline kind of style sketches. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, very charming, very funny. Um, because it's YouTube and because of his age and stuff, every once in a while, there's some like dumb gamer reactionary kind of ideas on there that I'm not super into. But, uh, you know, that's about every 12th or 13th video. <laughs> so they're easy to avoid. What's his name again? Long Beach Griffey. Long Beach Griffey. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, I'll, che- I'll make sure to check that out. Just fun little observational, very consumable little sketch comedy. Cool. All right. Cool. Let's go ahead and move on to our movie news. 
before before we do that, uh, I I'm springing you on the on this on you. This is some gotcha journalism right here. Um, I want to make a push uh, for our listeners to go. Uh, if you enjoy our show, please go onto iTunes and rate us uh, five stars, please. Um, I personally, it is my mission to get our show verified by Rotten Tomatoes. And to do that, we need a fuckload of positive reviews. Um, so if you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes, give us a five-star review, uh, subscribe, share with your friends, tell them to do the same. It really helps us out. If we can get Rotten Tomatoes verified, that would be huge for us. Uh, and in October, October's coming up, and I've already got the Halloween feels. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm ready for the spookiness. Uh, last year, if you follow me on Instagram, uh, I, last year I did, I participated in Inktober. Um, I drew an ink sketch on a post-it note for every day in Inktober. If you go and leave us a positive review on iTunes, uh, hit me up and I will draw you a sketch, an ink sketch of your favorite horror movie. Um, so, yeah. Hit us up uh, and give us some some positive feedback if you like the show. Help us become bigger and better. Absolutely. All right. So now now we can move on to the movie movie news. Um, this is an older story. Now I feel like everyone's kind of aired their opinions on, but we never got to cover it ourselves. Uh, the big Spider Man debacle, the Sony Disney Spider Man debacle. Um, mm -hmm. You know the details pretty much come out to uh, the deal that Disney struck with, with Sony in order to bring Spider-Man into the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, kind of went that uh, Disney would um, fund it and make the movies and Sony would be able to reap most of the pro uh, the proceeds. I mean, it wasn't even well, a 50-50 deal. I think it was like what, 20%, 30%? So, I think it's a little more nuanced than that, but essentially, uh, <laughs> yeah, Sony was loaning the character Marvel the, the rights to the cinematic versions of Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, to include him in the MCU. Uh, they, he, the character was loaned out initially for a five movie contract mm -hmm. um that contract had expired uh after spider-man far from home came out so it's time to renegotiate the terms it sounds like to me disney was asking for a lot uh and a lot more than they were getting before yes uh, especially in terms of monetary con monetary compensation and uh like producing credits and things like that and so sony said you know what no deal fine we don't need this and they walked away mm -hmm. uh so as it stands right now marvel no longer has the rights to use spider-man in the the mcu uh 
Which, you know, they've kind of made a big deal out of Spider-Man being in the MCU. Yeah. My personal take on it is this. It's it, it was purely a negotiating tactic from Disney yes. to leak the story. Oh, uh, really? You think pressure. so? Uh-huh. I think so. To put pressure on Sony yeah. to come back to the table. Because they knew the fans would freak out, which they did. Uh, so it, the story came out, and it wasn't until like one or two days later until Sony made an official statement. Um, and then Disney didn't really make any statements until D23, and even then, their statements have been sort of vague at best. I think, I think Sony called Disney's bluff, and Disney was being the fucking media conglomerate that they were. Were, were like, fuck you. If that's how you're gonna be, we're gonna make sure you guys look like the bad guys in all of this. Uh, also, personally. I think it's. I think this is going to be resolved. I'm. Sh- I. I would not be surprised if this has actually already been resolved. Uh, yeah. But they're waiting to make an announcement until the right time. I think this is entirely a negotiation tactic that now they're going to turn into a marketing ploy. Yeah, possibly. I mean. It's kind of, it's a, it's an interesting situation because you have uh, Sony who only stands to benefit from keeping the character to some degree or another, even if they're only, you know, well, they were getting more than half uh, of the profits. But, um, you know, so in that yeah, in that case, they're, they really stand the profit from from owning the character. And I think I think uh, Spider-Man Far From Home is the highest grossing Sony picture? Sure, um, um, and yeah. uh, it was—I mean, it was released twice in theater. But also, mm-hmm. you have the situation where Sony is still kind of flirting with doing like a Spider Villain universe without Spider-Man. Like you know, uh, uh, yeah, Venom was kind of a success, and. Now they're trying to, they're talking about Morbius and all of these other characters. And so I Mm. think they see a door still open for the possibility of bringing Spider-Man back in if they have the leverage to do so. And I think they might see this as that moment. But um, I don't know. I'll be interested to see how it shakes out. I think that Disney has the, the, the money and the power to be able to pretty much make the situation go away. It might cost them. They might have to just really pay out to keep the character or mm-hmm. something to that effect. But I think Sony's in a unique position where they have negotiating edge a little bit on this. I I disagree. I think uh I think Disney has it all right now. They ju- so they built this fucking character and and had a huge cliffhanger ending mm-hmm. uh that everybody was like what the fuck like they have so more than any other character they have sewn spider-man into the fabric of the mcu oh yeah uh, like they they were i mean for i and i think they it was pretty much put on the table that this is he's going to be the iron man of the next wave 
Yeah, and and I I think that was entirely to give them more clout when the negotiations came up. Maybe here's I don't the thing. Know. I don't think that Disney Marvel needs Spider-Man as much as Sony needs Disney Marvel right now. Uh, I mean, Venom was kind of a success, and Sony hasn't had the best track record as far as knowing what the fans want. Right. Um, but you'd have to be pretty dumb uh, to not be sweating at least a little bit the way people reacted to this. And here's the thing. Uh, Disney just announced their next slate of, you know, phase four films Mm -hmm. right before this came out and Spider-Man was nowhere on there. So they have time to renegotiate that Sony doesn't have. Uh, Sony's going to have to put another Spider-Man movie out within a couple years or they lose the rights to the characters. So and you don't think that they're dumb enough that they might try to do that? Oh, I I think they might, but. I think they have the most to lose. Yeah. Whereas Disney can just say, uh, yeah, I know it sucks. Sony sucks. You know, like we, we wish we could have come to terms. You know, they're the bad guys. We tried. And it mean, in the meantime, they're putting out Black Panther 2 and breaking their own fucking box office records. Uh-huh. Spi- MCU does not need Spider-Man. But the Spider-Man that they have built needs the mcu that's true i i think i think disney has been really smart about this and i think it's just sort of a matter of does anyone at sony have the forethought to actually see they're in a pretty shitty predicament um but again i i think like i agree with you disney has the money they have the the capital they can get Spider-Man back if they really Yeah, they want might just have to need. pay for it, but yeah. Um But I I, I think Sony's gonna have to come meet them to the table a little bit. And honestly, I I would not be surprised, like I said, if that deal has already been made and they're just like, you know, wait till after Star Wars comes out so we can make an announcement to build up hype for the next Marvel movie or whatever. Yes. Okay, um, so there's that. Uh, here's the next story. Uh, Matrix 4 officially on the go with Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss um, set to come back with Lana Murkowski directing by herself, I guess. Do we need another Matrix movie? Uh, I mean... It's been a while. I hate that. Yeah, I hate that term, do we need this movie or whatever. Right. Like, I, uh, you know, as long as the script is good... Uh, you could already call, I already know the title. It's going to be called Matrix Resurrection. Um, <laughs> because like, how could you not? Right. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of down for it, to be honest. Uh, the Wachowskis haven't done anything super relevant outside of the Matrix. Um, I, you know, Keanu's hot right now. He's so hot right now. I think that's, uh, largely what has made this happen. I think they want to capitalize on that Keanu heat while it's still, while it's still there. And, uh, well, you're, you're capitalizing on a lot of things. You're capitalizing on the nostalgia factor. You're capitalizing on heat from Keanu. You're capitalizing on, uh, you know, franchise ability. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, 
I'm not against it. I I think I just hope the script is good uh, because the Matrix movies, the original trilogy had sort of a case of diminishing return. For sure. Um, It it was like each movie had a half-life of entertainment from the previous movie. Right. And I am sort of afraid that uh, philosophically speaking, the Wachowskis... I guess this is just Lana Wachowski, so that's that fact is interesting. Because mm-hmm. um, the Wachowskis have haven't they always directed together? Uh, yeah, traditionally, yeah. Um, I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I wonder if it's one of those things where they were just so engrossed in the world of the Matrix that their post Matrix stuff they just didn't have sort of the same passion for. I. I don't know. I do. Oh, think I don't think technology- that's ever been the problem. I think, you know, whatever might be the problems with their post Matrix output, lack of passion is not it. Those movies are crazy. Like, <laughs> I mean, if, yeah, you know, Cloud Atlas and and Jupiter Ascending and Speed Racer. Those are not necessarily all great movies, but they're the type of bad movies that only like a mad scientist can create. That's true. They're they're ambitiously Yeah, they're yeah. way and, ambitious. And, I think the problem, if anything, is that they're so interested in world building and so interested in mythology, because that's very yeah. much a big part of like the way they approach their writing. Um mm-hmm. that they just ha- haven't been able to capture a specific type of mythology that hits the zeitgeist in the same way the Matrix did in nineteen ninety nine. Because that was, like, the height of, like, the cyberpunk thing and, like, you know, the brand new cinematic technology that, like, added, you know, uh, made um, live action animation in a way. Um, Mm -hmm. The height of, like, uh, anime culture kind of uh, coming to the forefront in America. Well, no, I mean, no bones about it. They changed every action movie that was made at post-Matrix. Yeah, I mean... Post-Matrix is a, like, cinematic term. Yeah, and and there's a reason why. So I, I think it could be cool to see them return to that world. Like you said, yeah. they are so interested in world building that maybe if they're returning to a world that is already built and already has rules, uh, they can focus on just making something really fucking cool. Or Lana can. Yes. Um. I, I'm so I I'm with you on the screenplay. I'm, I think that's where it's where, where the it's really going to matter. And I think yeah, because I, I hope they hire some good uh, editors, some good uh, punch up writers. Just make sure it's a decent script. Otherwise, I could see it Pirates of the Care being out. You see, that's that's uh, what I'm afraid of, especially where they're going back to the old characters and stuff because I if I were to approach this if I you know I was a script doctor or something and somebody asked me to write a screenplay for a fourth Matrix movie I wouldn't even start with the characters that everyone knows I would I would I I would get back into that world but through a new perspective because I feel like we've said uh, pretty much everything you can say about Neo and and Trinity and Morpheus and all of them. So, but we'll see. I you know I don't want to like shit on it until I, till we come to. I, I'm gonna say I'm cautiously optimistic. Okay, 
I'm interested. I'll say that because, like I said, even their failures are wildly fantastic failures. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't hate Cloud Atlas. Uh, there are parts of it that I liked a lot more than others. Sure. But, um, yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, Jupiter Sending was kind of a turd. <laughs> That's a fun bad movie, though. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, she Hulk, <laughs> Moon Knight, Miss Marvel come to live action series on Disney Plus. You'll have to tell me how those are because I will never own Disney Plus. Uh, okay, first of all, your roommates fucking will. I know that on good authority. Uh, second of all, yeah, I mean, I signed me the fuck up. After the trailer for The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. did you see that? Uh, God, no. Damn, it looks cool. Uh, I, I mean, it looks like a fucking Star Wars movie. Like, the pr- the production value in the trailer, I was like, this is no fucking way this is a TV show. Um. Disney, I don't think Disney Plus is fucking around. Uh, And if they're going to invest that time and and money into these characters, bring it the fuck on. And I think these are all characters that, like, if they're given their due respect, they're going to be, like, fucking incredible shows. She-Hulk... Uh, can be such a cool, interesting character because she's more of a lawyer than a superhero. She's right. sort of a reverse daredevil. Um, Moon Knight is Batman if Batman was certifiably insane, mm-hmm. like schizophrenic insane. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff they can do with Moon Knight in regards to, uh, you know, is he crazy? Is he actually talking to an Egyptian god? <laughs> uh, uh, I... And it could be cinematic as fuck. Um, and I don't know a lot about Miss Marvel. Um, that's one of those series that I've been meaning to check out mm-hmm. because it's 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 uh, Kamala Khan, I think, is the character. Uh, she took over the mantle of Miss Marvel after Miss Marvel became Captain Marvel. Right. Uh, the Marvel name that that's my biggest complaint about Miss Marvel as a character is her name is not good. But um, <laughs> from what I've heard, one of the more interesting original characters that Marvel has debuted uh, in the comic books in the last decade. So uh, yeah, but I am all in on these okay Disney Plus series so far. Yeah, I mean it. It seems wise to stock up now, especially after all of the. Marvel series on Netflix have been kind of puttered out. Um, mm-hmm. Now they can kind of start from scratch on what a Marvel uh, non-cinematic Te- or uh, tele television television yeah. um, universe looks like. And these are characters that have been unmined. I'm a little disappointed that She-Hulk and, and Moon Knight don't get to debut on film, but um, you know, maybe their characters make more sense for the small screen. I think that Disney's going to blow us away with what we think a TV show can look like. I really do. It, it, it so it sounds like this. You don't think it's going to be Hannah Montana, but with superheroes? I don't think so, man. <laughs> uh, t- fucking watch the trailer for Mandalorian and tell me if that looks like Hannah Montana. <laughs> it looks. I'm more hyped for that than I am the next Star Wars movie. Like, it looks so fucking good. 
it in like just the cinematography of it looks it looks movie quality it doesn't look like we're losing anything i'm telling you i i think they're going full john hammond on disney plus and at least for the first few years they're going to be sparing no expense okay i was waiting to see where you're going with that um okay <laughs> well, we'll we'll call this the last news story what are you doing in 2039 <laughs> i hope we're alive um <laughs> i hope there's a planet still <laughs> yeah yeah uh, I think that's pretty optimistic of you to think there's going to be a 2039 at this point. Um, pretty optimistic of Richard Linklater, who is uh, set a uh, a new project, a kind of boyhood a boyhood esque project, where over the course of 20 years he's going to be adapting a Sondheim musical. Um, does it say which one? I don't know anything about Stephen Sondheim. Uh, merrily uh, we I roll along. Is, do we? Do you know anything know. about that? I know Into the Woods, and I know Assassins, right? Uh, but that's it. Um, that's one more than I know. Um, so yes, it's going to be an adaptation called Merrily We Roll Along, starring uh, Beanie Feldstein from uh, the movie we reviewed, Booksmart. Um, uh-huh. And uh, uh, she also. Has a fun cameo in What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's a thing right now. Uh, yeah. But will she be a thing in 20 years? Because that is, that's what they're going to be banking on here. So, so what was it, 12 does, years for Boyhood? Yeah, this is uh, pretty ambitious. Does Richard Linklater know that that you don't have to do that to make movies? <laughs> I think maybe, I don't know, maybe he just liked the experience so much, like, because the difference between this and Boyhood. Yeah, who wouldn't love shooting for a day and then having six months off? Well, I mean, all within that period of time, he was still releasing traditional films. Um, So, but it was, he called it his little movie summer camp. Like, they would get together for two weeks, shoot some stuff, and then, you know, he would edit it down and come back next year. And maybe he just got so kind of caught up in that, expecting that for 12 years, that uh, now that it's not there anymore, he's like, oh, I don't get to do that this summer. So now this like gives him like a 20-year rollout to do movie summer camp with his friends. I guess... I don't care. I'm going to immediately forget about this. Uh, and I guess I'll wait 23 years. Uh, I like, why the fuck even tell anybody? That's so stupid. Um, like, are you, I don't know. It's sure. (laughs) I, I think this is fucking self-indulgent and weird and unnecessary. Um, I liked Boyhood. I think it's an interesting experiment. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that needs to be the fucking model. <laughs> well, I wish I knew more about Merrily We Roll Along, because it might have something to do with the structure of that musical. Like, maybe there's some a lot of passage of time in that musical or something, and they just yeah. want to, like, naturalize it, rather than just you put everybody else? under age makeup. You know what else has a lot of passage of time? What? Forrest Gump. Sure. Forrest Gump has a large passage of time. Uh, and you know what? I don't know that the movie suffers from not taking 30 years to make. 
No, that's true. But if you look at if you look at uh, Richard Linklater's entire filmography, um, you know, Mm -hmm. not every film he's made, but certain ones, you know, the pillars of his oeuvre, um, are very concerned with the passage of time, whether it be um, you know, waking life or slacker that takes Mm -hmm. the over the course of a day, um, or uh, whether it be um, the the uh, before sunrise trilogy, where um, those also take o- over the course of one night, but also each one in each trilogy he returned to like every what ten years. Um, so that's almost kind of like its own boyhood like experiment in its own sense. And then boyhood, of course, kind of being the the m- the most ambitious of that idea. So it does not surprise me at all that this is something he's doing. Um, I'm more concerned with the health and age of him. First of all, he's like 50 something right now. And, uh, you know, the cast and everybody, it's, it's, it's a long gamble, especially that long. If it were, if we were talking 10 years or eight years or something like that, I'd be like, okay, we'll see. Um, but this is like, whoo boy. Yeah. I kind of have a feeling it's not going to get finished and it might become one of those like, hollywood legends like right whatever uh so i'm I'm reading up a little bit uh after merrily we roll along and apparently it was a total failure um and closed after 16 performances (laughs) so uh yeah i i guess uh (laughs) i don't know i i guess we'll keep you in informed on this story for the next 23 years <laughs> all right i i think it's kind of dumb but i don't know maybe it'll be cool we'll see i do think he's jinxing himself by announcing it yeah i think uh one of the reasons boyhood worked was because it was just like a big surprise it came out and it was like what he's been filming this for 12 years like that's <laughs> right. insane i but I guess he was just so excited. I don't know. I after Boyhood, though, I I bet it was hard to keep something like this secret from right. the press. Like if they got any sort of sniff of it, I'm sure it would have been leaked before any announcement would have been made. Anyway, so mm-hmm. I guess they may, maybe were just trying to get ahead of the story. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> Okay, let's go ahead and start talking about this week's movies, because uh, we do got a couple of them. So, do you want to start with uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark? Sure. I'll let yeah. you set that up. What happens in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark? Uh, so, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is uh, it's a movie based on uh, the young adult, uh, I-, I guess you could even, I don't know, yeah, young adult book series. <sighs> Um, uh, it's a compilation of short, scary stories. No, very short. Probably more. Huh. Very short. Yeah, like page long. Some of them. Yeah. Um. Uh. And I think they were probably known more for the terrifying ink blot artwork. Yeah. That accompanied the stories than the stories themselves. Um. If you don't know what the artwork for Scary Stories Tell in the Dark looked like. Fucking Google image that shit. Chilling. And give yourself nightmares. Like I, even now, it's. I'm still honestly like, surprised that that you could just like go to your school book fair and pick that stuff up at seven years old. 
Like, yeah, like just like grew fuck? and gore and sinewy, like stringy muscles. And like, it was pretty fucked it's up. Skulls <laughs> and spiders. And it's, yeah. So, yeah like, it's horrible. Hyper, like, realistic and detailed. And yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. The stories yeah, were sort of whatever. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's crazy to me though is like, like they were like campfire fucking, tales, basically. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but what's crazy to me is that <laughs> fucking Harry Potter is like Christian groups are like, ah, it's Satanist, right? Uh, but this evil, scary book <laughs> with this evil, horrifying artwork was just like handed out to kids. Like, ah, you need trauma in your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Google image that shit. Anyway, so this movie is uh, sort of an adaptation of some of these stories. The This group of teens finds this book in this haunted house uh, uh, that uh, is uh, this woman haunts. And uh, if you read the book, the, they'll, she'll start writing stories featuring... The people who read the book and the the stories come to life and kill you or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's that's the basic setup. Uh, what did it's uh, what did you think of the movie? Um. So I was, I've been following this story for a little while, like the development of this movie, and I, you know Guillermo del Toro mm-hmm. was producing it, which seemed. Um, Promising, but not necessarily doesn't mean much because he produces a lot of things, uh, varying mm. quality. But you know, I, I thought it was a good start at the very least. And then they, they, there's been a few different directors attached to this at at, at different times. I think um, the one they finally landed on, I'm, I'm pulling it up, Andre Andre Overdahl, who also he uh, directed Troll Hunter. Troll Hunter. Which is a fun movie, um, if if mm-hmm. if you've never seen it before, it's a uh, I want to say Norwegian or Scandinavian document. It's like a documentary like, about faux documentary. And- yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like it's, it's, yeah, a, it's a it's a like a found footage horror comedy about um, a documentary crew trying to uh, hunt trolls, like giant Scandinavian trolls who eat Christians. Um, Mm-hmm. And it's a fun, uh, low budget kind of thing, and and it worked really well for what it was. So, okay, you know, I was kind of excited for this, and then I saw the trailer and became immediately much less excited because I realized, you know, they're kind of taking it down. I mean, I I thought, you know, you're doing scary stories to tell in the dark, which we've already described the book as being, you know, just a compilation of campfire stories basically sometimes poems things like that sometimes you know just something that's one paragraph just kind of a freaky idea and then you know this insanely terrifying art next to it um and so i thought like the logical way to go with this is to do sort of a creep show style anthology film um for a different age group and just kind of shuffle through some of these stories um instead Mm -hmm. we have this really cumbersome uh uh, framing device of these kids in the 1960s who are being bullied in their school and who feel like outsiders and they, you know, they're, it's a Halloween night and they find this book and then they 
you know, then they realize what's happening to them, that the book is haunted, and it's, like, writing them into these stories in real life, and, and then they're trying to get all the adults to believe them, and, and you know, as I'm watching this movie, I'm just overcome with disappointment at the entire approach of how the, how they came to this. Now, if you don't know anything about the book, and it's not, again, the books themselves are it's not brilliant writing. It's not like they really like. Yeah, they're, um, they're fine. It's it's a loose enough framework. You can really do whatever you want with it. I just thought that this approach was so safe and so um, literal. Uninspired. Yeah. Uh, that I... I just didn't, I didn't understand, like, like, there's this whole, like, Sarah Bellows mythology, which might have been a story in one of the books. I don't remember. But, um, I don't, you know, it's, it's arbitrarily set in the 1960s. There's all this stuff about Vietnam and Richard Nixon going on in the background of the story. And I'm like, I don't, why is this? I don't think that stuff is necessarily arbitrary, but I, I think that, Whatever the intention of it was lost. Yes, I don't I like it because it's 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 not like it's in passing. Like it's it's something no, they it's- bring a lot of attention to and keep reminding you about all throughout the movie, and I never understand why. Like what is the purpose of this? Like yeah, this I- the story could take place in the seventies, eighties, nineties, or now. Um, but they are really pushing this like sixties nostalgia on us. Uh, for no reason. Um, and, and it's not like the situation where I was like, well, maybe they put it in the 60s, because that's what I thought when I first, like, started going that direction. So I thought, well, maybe there's, like, stuff in here that a cell phone would, would ruin. Um, but there isn't. <laughs> like, it, it, modern technology doesn't get in the way of how any of this unfolds. Um, so, you know. Actually, so I didn't mind the setting, um. Because I think I don't know. I think it does kind of set a better tone. It's than a choice. Modernness. Yeah, I I don't think they needed to focus on it as much as they did. Um, and as far as the framing device goes, mm-hmm. I think they still could have had everything up until them like going into this haunted house, getting locked in the basement, and then they find the book. And then just start reading the book, and and you could even do it like American Horror Story style. Uh, you just like use the same actors for each story, right? You know. So I think I just think there were there are more creative approaches that they could have taken. Part of me wonders if this was sort of like a studio push thing to make it one concentrated story because just like anthology, like. I think an anthology movie would have been a really hard sell because people just don't make them anymore. It's just not. And so I wonder, I wonder where this choice came from, because uh, I think it, the logical decision is, you know, it's scary stories to tell in the dark. So much of the script talks about the importance of stories, but then we don't actually really get. Any story. Any individual stories. No. It's all sort of this one story that's, like, fine. It's it's fine. Um, but I th- I just think it could have been so much better. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's not necessarily that this movie is so bad. I really feel neither one way or the other about it. It is, like, directly in the middle of the road. 
Um, yeah, I I will say, I did appreciate that uh-huh. this movie doesn't hold back on the creepiness or the like. Uh, I I think the like creature design and uh, the tone of this movie is spot on. I think it's just like it gets like you said, it gets lost on this weird mythology they're trying to make for the movie that is completely arbitrary and unnecessary. Right. Which just uh, feels but extremely li- writer device mechanical. Yes. Yeah. And it, it feels like they took like one pass at a script and that's what got thrown up on the screen. Um, yeah. But I will say uh, visually, this movie is really cool. And, and I think there's some really creepy, really good scares for a younger audience. I sure. at the beginning of the movie, I was like a little afraid that I was being, you know, talked down to. Um, mm-hmm. I because at the like first ten minutes, it sort of feels like Halloween Town. Yeah. Um, but then once the creepy shit starts happening, like they go for some genuine scares, and so I appreciate. And we kind of have talked about this with um, with Pikachu and with uh, Shazam. This feels like a movie that's marketed to, you know, sort of a younger preteen audience. And for right. that audience. But in a way that doesn't, can like, feel totally pander. du- pandered or dumb. Yeah. Yeah. So even though the script isn't super great and... Uh, it's at times the child actors are whew, uh, pretty bad. Um, <laughs> I, I think uh, I, I appreciated that this movie is. I appreciate the tone and the energy of the movie being spot on uh, for you know a younger crowd that is wants horror that is hungry for horror, but usually either gets talked down to or gets extreme scares that that might be you know inappropriate a, a bit too much yeah. uh for that age group so no i, I agree there's th- there's kind of a um even though it, it i think it's going for more sophisticated scares in tone than mm-hmm. what i'm about to say but it kind of like fills that hocus pocus gap a little bit totally, totally. like there's like there's there's an approach to sort of uh horror not as just the intention to scare, but sort of more as a as a storytelling subset or tone. Yeah, um, that I kind of appreciate here, and I like I like I think for like a fourteen year old's uh, you know slumber party kind of experience, this is totally fine. It's totally acceptable. Yeah, um, yeah for me, it's just like I can't help but see. Uh, the missed opportunity. Missed potential. Yeah, because I think that there's those books are so um, elemental and so basic that you had you had pretty much a license to do whatever you want to do, and what they chose yeah. to do was go the safest route possible. Yeah, and and in a weird way, overcomplicate it. Yeah, it, it you know something that should be just s- simple it should be scary stories to tell in the dark right. that's all it needed to be you could even use the individual elements that they had done you just don't need to tie them all together right like it doesn't it didn't need this this saga narrative 
thing because that makes it feel lumbering and not yeah as, and episodic yeah. because yeah every I, time you're going from you know i mean this you know one kill to the next or whatever uh it feels like the movie's just sort of like holding your hand through these set pieces and says, okay, here's the next night. We can expect this. And it all becomes very telegraphed. So by the yeah. end of the movie, um, nothing is scary anymore. It, even, even though, you know, the imagery is cool or whatever, um, they've created this rhythm to the storytelling that it becomes mm-hmm. very, very predictable. Yeah, to- totally. I, I agree with that. I, I was so when I saw it, I was trying not to get too hung up on the potential, right? Um, because like you know, it this is the movie we got, yeah. Um, so there's no no sense in in letting that overly influence my viewing of it. Uh, however, I just I think there were obvious better choices they could have made. Uh, overall though, I I feel like it's totally inoffensive. Um, and, and I think for the age group that they're targeting, uh, I don't know. I, I liked to see this type of movie coming out. I think it could have been better. Um, but what we got wasn't bad. Not all the way. I'm, for me, this is like a B minus movie. It's, it's okay. Yeah, I agree. I, that was actually the, the grade I was going to give it is a B minus. I think it's, um, it's totally fine. It could have been so much more, um, but this is what it is, and and that's okay. Uh, so, yeah, B minus for me. Okay. Um, then let's go ahead and move on to Ready or Not, which uh, just came out uh, what last week or the week before. Uh, this is a little horror comedy that came sort of came out of nowhere. It had some fun trailers. Um, but basically, the the story as it exists is there's a newlywed couple. Uh, played by Samara Weaving as Grace and uh, Mark O'Brien as Alex. Uh, Alex belongs to sort of the this old money um, uh, American family who live in this giant mansion. Um, they all kind of get married on the lawn. They're going to stay their wedding night with the family. Uh, Alex informs Grace on the wedding night that before you know they can uh, consummate the marriage, uh, they have to play a game with the elders. Um, and the other uh, in-laws. So they go to the game room of the mansion, and it is revealed that because of some weird um, satanic curse that the family's been under uh, for uh, decades or or, uh, years and years and years, they have to hunt and kill Grace, or else uh, some old family heir is going to kill them all before dawn. And from there, you know, uh, the family members all choose a weapon. Grace has to uh, play this uh, murderous game of hide-and-seek for the remainder of the night. And it, uh, it's, it's kind of a high-concept horror comedy. Maybe mm-hmm. leans a little bit more horror than comedy. Um, but, yeah, what did you think of this, uh, this contraption? Uh, I thought it was a blast. I, I mean, I think if you're going into this knowing it's high concept mm-hmm. uh like i saw the trailer and i was sort of like what it's like hide and go seek to the death yeah um <laughs> uh but i was here for it mm-hmm. i think the tone of this movie is so 
I think, if nothing else, the tone of this movie really sells it. Right. Really sells uh, what could have been like a high concept swing and a miss. Um, yeah. But I, I think the movie, the direction really embraces the camp mm-hmm. and really, em- uh, and I think something that I thought was really refreshing and cool was that the family, these hunters, uh, like at first they're set up like, so, you know, sort of a most dangerous game situation. Yeah. Uh, but they're all kind of fucking idiots. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I, I think felt the most fresh to me was even though this woman is in a life or death situation and the situation feels very real, uh, the the people that are doing it don't feel like these apex predators. They yeah. like because of the way some the, are more vicious than others, but there's yes. clear power dynamics even within that family. And mm-hmm. uh yeah, the movie has a lot of fun kind of poking fun uh at all of their idiosyncrasies. Like I think that's actually where the movie shines is the yes. fact that um, we're kind of balancing two separate tones, which is Samara Weaving is in very real danger, and she plays it totally straight for the most part. Um, she kind of has like a wry sense of humor that she brings to certain sequences, but for the most part, when she's running and screaming and scared and you it know feels, fighting back, if for her it's yeah, very it very feels real. Like she, for them, they're kind knows. of like, oh, this again. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I. The way that, that they set it up is uh, when people come into this family, they have this like magical card box that they select the game. Yeah. It sort of feels like the game selects the person more than, than anything else. Sure. Um, and so most of the time, this family, they just play like a normal game. Right. Um, but every once in a while, every, you know, 50 years or whatever, they have to hunt someone for sport. Uh, and so they they don't feel efficient because they're playing by these rules of tradition that have been established. Yeah. Uh, and because they, they're not these apex predators. They, you know, they mostly sacrifice goats to Satan. Uh, <laughs> and so I'll, it leads to like a really interesting um, antagonist protagonist relationship. Right. And in in a way that feels very genuine. Uh, that was what impressed me was that i i never felt like the movie sold out the stakes for comedy mm-hmm. but it wasn't afraid to let its antagonists be goofy and not always scary right and i thought that was really cool um there's also like a lot of uh uh pokes at the upper class um which are not so veiled no. you know sort of political allegories um, which I thought, you know, it, it, it's in a similar conversation as Get Out, as far as that's concerned. Yeah, um, maybe not. I'd say it's probably even less not, less subtle than that. Um, yeah, and it's it's not racially motivated; it's specifically class. Yes. Um, yeah, but and I, and I think I, that that is an underlying thing that's happening in the movie. I, in my review, I said that the uh, the actor who plays sort of the patriarch. Of the whole family reminds me of like a satanic Mitt Romney. Yeah, totally, totally. Or, or like you can just tell he's like, like he's a dude who'd watch Fox News. Sure. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. 
and it's about this family that comes from old money and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's there's a lot of not so subtle satire, which most of my favorite horror movies are working on some level. Like yeah, that. It, in a way, like the way the family is portrayed. Um, and to some degree, there's a lot of set design in here and a lot of like, uh, stylish lighting and that kind of stuff. Um, it reminded me a little bit of like Beetlejuice in a way, like not as, yeah, I get that. Not as hyper mythologized and there isn't as much like, you know, claymation, uh, sandworms and like that kind of crazy stuff. But like, yeah, that kind of, uh, making fun of the yuppies sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. It it also I think through set design and stuff it kind of reminds me of a uh, clue. Yes, like it kind of it, it just sort of harkens back to this older style of uh you know, cl- I think Clue is a really good uh comparison because it's mm-hmm. another horror comedy. Yeah, um where you know when characters die it's real and there's real death involved, um but it's also just a lot of fun and it's very manic yeah. uh and. And yeah, so I, I, or maybe a, a more successful, uh, what was that movie with Dan Aykroyd? Nothing but trouble (laughs) (laughs) or the burbs like that era. Yeah. Yeah. And and I really, I miss that. Those types of, uh, uh, like not every horror movie has to be, you know, scary. Tell your shit, your pants kind of horror. Yeah. It, it can it, be, this is kind it, of more of a ride. It's kind of, it's like a, this is like a perfect popcorn film. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to talk about slumber party movies. This is, yeah, this is like a great one. Um, Yeah. Uh, There was one thing that I noticed mm-hmm. and maybe I'm just crazy. Uh, Maybe. So Adam Brody's character is named Daniel. Yeah. Right. In the movie, there's a scene where I'm pretty sure his brother calls him David, like, multiple times. Oh. It was weird. I don't remember so it was like a, It was like a movie flub, and, and I, I don't want to tell you the part it happened, because it's kind of a spoiler. Um, but I was like, wait a minute, he's calling him... Like, it, was, it happened enough times for me to go, wait a minute, I thought his name was Daniel. Hmm. So that that kind of took me out of the movie for a minute. Just that this like glaring flub made it through. Um, but I can either confirm overall, or deny that that happened. I could be crazy. I could be crazy. Uh, <laughs> listeners, if you're listening and you happen to catch that, or if you are just like Keith, you're fucking crazy. Uh, turn your hearing aid up. Uh, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but it definitely, I was like, wait, what? He, why is he calling him David? Because hmm. uh, he does it a few times. So I was a little confused by that. Yeah. Um, but even though this movie's high concept, I feel like the rules make enough sense. Sure. And they do a good job of explaining them in but a way that doesn't. But not lingering on them. The movie isn't like. Yes. Isn't just like so full of board game rules that you're constantly trying to to make sense of it. Like it's just there to set up this fun situation. The hunt. Yeah. yeah. And it it's not overly exposition, which is like yeah. that's like my new pet peeve oh, with for movies sure. because it just happens so much now. Mm-hmm. Um 
that a lot of story is told through character interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I loved that. So well, just like yeah, just I, like a Samara Weaving who is kind of playing it straight um, and sort of lets the comedy come up from that. Uh, mm-hmm. The story is kind of doing the same thing. It's it's giving you everything matter of fact, like it's giving you this crazy shit, so matter of fact <laughs> that you it it uh, calls out its own absurdity and lets yes. lets it be funny in that way. How about Annie McDowell in her heel turn uh, as the uh, yeah. as the mother? Now the- people probably think of Annie McDowell from the, like the nineties as like the wholesome, you know. Uh, pie lady in in uh, Michael or um, mm-hmm. in Groundhog's Day uh, or whatever. Groundhog Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they cast her so well because yeah, a she's like due for a comeback for and sure. B at the at the start of the movie, she sort of feels like that type of character, and then slowly throughout the movie, you realize she's a pretty heinous bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, she's great. Honestly, the the entire cast is great. Yeah, it's really um, really well cast, and I actually, you know, uh, the directors, um, they do a really good job of also thinking about the film in terms of what it's doing visually because it's very dimly lit for most of the movie. It mm-hmm. takes place at night. You're talking about people hiding in closets or in corridors and that kind of stuff. Um, and the you know the, this big mansion they're in is like a giant puzzle box. Which kind of plays into yeah. the gamification of the entire plot. Uh, but in order to do that successfully, the audience has to ha- have a good sense of place and, and has to have a good sense of where everyone is in uh, conjunction mm-hmm. with each other and like how the uh, inner workings of this mansion work and you get a good sense of like geography of the, po- of the uh, movie. And the movie does a really good job at doing that. I never feel like I'm just in some random set. I always feel its connection to um, every other room and, and how it's all supposed to be mapped out. Yeah. So that's, that's one of those things that people don't think about when they watch movies, but um, it is one of those things that you can do wrong. Yeah. And you're right. It feels very rich and real and lived in and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and you get a good sense of like where things are happening at all times. Right. And like if someone gave you it, a piece of paper right after watching the movie movie and told you to draw the layout of the mansion, you could probably do uh, a, a good um, construction of that. Yeah. And it sort of plays out like like a board game, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is kind of fun. Um, yeah, I. I just had an absolute blast with this movie. Uh, uh, I I liked that you don't even necessarily know if uh, if what's happening is real or not. Sure, like, yeah. There's a there's this, a fun kind of like punchline uh, to everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. This this was a fun uh, like August surprise. Totally, and just helped put me more in the mood for Halloween. Uh, what letter grade are you giving this? Um, I give it a B plus. Uh, the only uh, points I, I knock is every once in a while when it, things start to get more kinetic between characters, like there's there's fighting or or chasing and that kind of stuff. It goes into shaky cam mode for unknown reasons, especially how um, disciplined everything else is. Um, 
And sometimes that's oh, like okay. incongruent with the style of the movie. But other than that, I think it's pretty terrific. Yeah, I would actually give this an A, but I'm going to give it an A minus because of the whole David Daniel flub, <laughs> which may or may not be real. Uh, <laughs> so if you want this movie's rating to go up for me, hmm. prove me wrong. You know, it's so rare <laughs> that I remember a character's name in a movie that you could do that. Like, especially a movie like this, you could just change the character's name in the middle of the movie. I probably wouldn't notice. Normally, yes, I agree. Uh, especially, yeah, especially in comedies. They don't yeah. give a lot of care to, like, um, most mass market comedy character names. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just like, I don't know, it just, I just caught it and it was weird. <laughs> um but the movie itself, I really enjoyed. So cool. Um, yeah. All right. All right. Let's move on to the Netflix homework uh, that I assigned to you mm-hmm. uh, from 2009. Solomon Kane. I guess. I guess I should set this up. Go for it. Solomon Kane, uh, a movie based off of a sort of pulp action hero created by Ron. Ha- uh, <laughs> I did this on the last <laughs> episode. Uh, by Robert E. Howard. Um, the creator of Conan. He, yeah, the creator of Conan the Barbarian, the creator of uh, uh, John Carter on Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, I mean, uh, didn't he also do... Um, he did John Carter, right? Um, I, I'm actually not sure. Anyway, he... Very prolific in sort of setting up the uh, pulp hero framework uh uh he was one of those those people um edgar rice burroughs did john carter he was the other one uh my nerd card is revoked (laughs) um yeah he definitely created conan salmon kane yeah uh red sonia uh very into yelly dudes with swords yes uh so this is Solomon Kane is a former pirate who, after he realizes he's through his um, uh, ravaging and murder, has uh, given up his soul to the devil, has tries to repent um, and become a, a man of God, trying to prolong these evil forces from getting his soul for as long as possible. He comes across a family. The family runs afoul of this evil sorcerer um, and who gets uh, murdered, driving Solomon Kane to become the action pilgrim we know he is in his heart uh, and to revoke his vow of peace uh, and go and, and try to get revenge uh, and save this girl or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, what did you think of Solomon Kane? Um, so this was kind of fun because I, upon watching this, I had no idea when this came out. Um, <laughs> I know, right, right. It it came out in two thousand nine. Right, it feels like it came out in nineteen ninety eight. Kind of yes, except for, uh, it's clearly shot on digital, 
um, and, yeah. and yeah. a newer digital. So it, it's not going to look like 28 days later, like which would be considered early digital. So I know that it had to be past a certain time. There's also some visually, uh, visually there is like sort of a post Lord of the Rings quality to it. So, you know, mm, I, was, I was, yes, I was trying to no. put together like, Throughout a lot well, of the movie, because I for some reason I just thought because this was on Netflix and never heard of it and da da da, like I, I was thinking like 2013 something like that, and then Pete Postlethwaite, Pete Postlethwaite, I can't say his name, but the uh, the actor, yeah. a lot of people probably remember him as the priest in Romeo plus Juliet. Um, he's in this, uh, or the priest from fucking, or the poet from fucking Dragonheart, you heathen. Right. <laughs> and this is kind of a spiritual successor to Dragonheart in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. But uh, he, he's in this, and um, he's he died, uh, you know, a handful of years ago. So I know it had to be at least, you know, before a certain time. Um, so watching this, because at first I thought, like, the snow, the swords, like, the sorcery, da-da-da. Maybe they're trying to tap into, like, a like Game of Thrones kind of thing. And so, and then, you know, as I'm going, I'm like, no, this feels older. This feels like something that, yeah, like that would have come out maybe like around the time of like Van Helsing. Um, but there's oh, no. not a ton of CGI in it. There's like one big CGI moment at the end. But for the most it part, uh, all of this is done on, on uh, either on location or in, um, the CGI that does exist is rough. Yeah, um, it's it's not great, but all of it's a lot, but but for the most part, they really really hold back on it. Um, all of the action sequences, yeah. uh, you know, all the fire effects and smoke effects and stuff, they don't use CGI to do that, which unfortunately they do more often than not nowadays. Um, and yeah, that's uh, true. Uh, and they have real honest to goodness stuntmen. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of like decent stunt work in the movie and and. Um, the, I think all of that actually pays off in the movie's advantage because, you know, if you're just watching it and you sort of understand where it's coming from and it's, you know, it's, it's pulp history and all of that stuff. Yeah. This is a big B movie and it's, yeah, yeah. it's not, it's, it's, but it kind of sits in like the perfect B movie territory for me where you could either watch it with friends and roast it because it's very easy to do that with this movie. Or if you're watching it by yourself sincerely, you can get a visceral entertainment out of it. It, it I think it knows exactly what it is. Um, I think it's pretty decent at being dumb, pulpy, historical action adventure uh, fantasy garbage in a way that's actually pretty honest and uh, fun to watch. And done competently enough, as far as the action goes, that uh, – mm-hmm. and even the storytelling, you know, it's it's kind of video gamey sometimes. Like, it kind of feels like it was written to be like a God of War com- competitor, and then they were just like, <laughs> let's turn this into a movie instead. Um, especially at the very end when you have a giant lava monster. But other than that, uh, I kind of I kind of loved how dopey um, – and uh, <laughs> ridiculous this thing was. It I, it reminds me, um, 
of a certain kind of movie that they don't really make anymore. And the reason that is, no, and I didn't know until I looked it up, this is not an American-made film. This was a like a uh, uh, it's a uh, French, British, Czech co-production. That makes a lot of sense now because yes. I I agree with everything you're saying. Honestly, to <laughs> me, this movie is like right on the same lines of the phantom or the shadow like sure. it it feels like that sort of late 90s pulpy action hero thing that they they don't quite know how to franchise it yet um, yeah so- they don't quite know how to make it feel bigger yet like like lord of the rings does or mm-hmm. um or you know even like the spider-man movies or stuff uh, uh, and so it just sort of sits in this weird little corner of movie history mm-hmm. of of stunty, cheesy action. Yeah, uh, I that's actually funny to me that that you enjoyed this because I thought you were gonna hate it. Um, but <laughs> I sort of had a lot of fun with it too. I was yeah. like, it it's trash, but it's fun trash. It's like yeah. It's like the the it, it's the fun type of B movie where it is taking itself so sincerely, um, and there's enough going on to suck you in. Yeah. Uh, there, but there's just like nothing sort of below you know surface level. I think if you compare this to the newer Conan movie, yeah, that came out, um, the one with uh. uh Jason Momoa playing Conan, which I mean, did better casting exist? I don't know. But <laughs> that movie, uh, which came out in 2011, feels yeah. so much less, just so much less than this, um, because it's mostly CGI. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, I, there's there's some similarities, like there's some some decent stunt work and stuff, but um, but that movie feels even more sort of digitally washed over and uh even more i don't know it's it's in a similar vein to be honest um but i appreciated the sort of more hands-on approach of solomon kane a, a bit more yeah I, I think the reason there's you know and again i i want to stress like you have to be sympathetic to what this movie's trying to do to to get anything out of it. Like if you like historical fantasy, um, swords and, you know, swords and shields kind of stuff, then yeah, you might be able to enjoy something in here. Um, you have to be a certain kind of geek to appreciate what's going on. But if, if you have like absolutely zero patience for any of this, um, with like the exception of game of Thrones, maybe then, I, yes, I, this is yeah, probably not for you. Um, it's it's not sophisticated in whatso- whatsoever. Yeah, and you know what? I I was kind of shitting on the Conan movie. I uh, with Jason Momoa. <laughs> you retroactively think- decided is great. <laughs> no, but I enjoyed it on the same sort of level of like this is dumb pulp, but it's fun dumb pulp. It's right. it's dumb pulp that that cares about the source and, and the roots of, and the tradition of that. But yeah, I agree. This movie is not going to be for everybody. Um, uh, but I think you have the people, to have an appreciation for, 
I think people of a certain yeah. age, mostly our age, um, who grew up in the age of like Dragonheart and Thirteenth Warrior and like that kind of stuff, who kind of miss this, who kind of mm-hmm. miss cool historical um, fantasy epics that aren't just like overwrought with shitty CGI and like terribly edited action scenes and just budgets that are doing nothing for for anything because this movie is um yeah. noticeably mid to lower budget but uses it pretty well yeah actually uh it, i actually think it's not a bad a looking movie job but yeah it has some good shots uh mm-hmm. some good like um uh sort of set piece shots uh yeah and <laughs> and James Purfoy, he's doing his best uh, Hugh Jackman impression. Yes, <laughs> as as not uh, Hugh Jackman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I I thought this movie was dumb fun. Yeah, so did I. I actually, uh, I think it's the perfect kind of thing to watch on Netflix. Oh, all right, cool for this type of thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm not mad at it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, for Netflix, for the next week's Netflix homework, I'm going to have us watch the documentary Jim and Andy uh, about Jim Carrey taking on the role of Andy Kaufman in Man on the Moon and all of the crazy uh, uh, method acting that went into that. Um, yeah, it was a documentary I've been wanting to catch up with for a while, so I thought now's a good time to do it because we haven't done a doc in a while. Yeah, and we're on the cusp of Horror-tober. Yeah, um, at which point, that's all we're going to be doing for Netflix homework. So, I didn't want to jump into that too soon. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. though the, this episode uh, has been pretty horror-heavy. Even I Solomon Kane a- had, like, you know, witches and demons and a guy who looks <laughs> like uh, a guy who looks like Tortilla Face from uh, Slipknot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, cool. I'm I'm excited to watch that. That's been on my personal list for a long time. So, uh, cool. Cool. So, uh, if anybody has anything to say about any of the things we talked about in this episode, you can email us at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can uh, comment on any of the news stories or episodes that we post on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mcguffinpod. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MacGuffin Pod, and be able uh, and be sure to follow us um, or check us out on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Pocket Cast, Player.fm. And as we've stated before, please leave a star rating and a one sentence review on either iTunes or Stitcher. Um, and uh, it helps people be able to find the show easier. And I guess the goal is to end up on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, that's the goal. That's, that's the help goal. us, help us get splat power. <laughs> uh, Keith, oh, 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 let me say my things. I guess uh, if you want to follow me individually on Twitter, it's at VC Cassidy, and you can also read my writing that I do every week for the Idaho State Journal at the Idaho State Journal's website, um, and it should be under the M- Entertainment Movies page. Um, you can also read some of the writing I've done for the MacGuffin over at MacGuff.in slash author slash Cassidy. And you can, while you're there, uh, check out the RSS feed um, for this podcast and the other writing and articles by the MacGuffin staff. Keith, what is your stuff? 
Um, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Keith Foster Kid and uh, on Instagram at Keith Foster Kid, and that is currently it. Uh, also check out my website www.keithfosterkid.com. Um, I might start doing comedy again someday. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Yes, and be sure to check out our friends out there doing the podcast of their own, uh, Patrick and Dennis over Almost Educational, and Buddy and Alice over at Those Happy Places, and Rogue Fun, a Star Wars podcast. That'll be it. Ready or not, here I come. Bye.